this is a faithful saying, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. Thanks for joining me today. This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Good morning. We're in Romans chapter 6 today, Romans chapter 6, continuing our series of moving from chains of sin to chains of righteousness. So Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 14 say, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Paul said in the previous chapter, in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, that we gain access to God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And yet, we know that faith is not acceptable without obedience, according to James chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. So therefore, grace cannot be had without obedience. If grace cannot be had without faith, and faith is not legitimate until there is obedience, then grace cannot be had until there is obedience. Grace demands obedience, as we might say. And that's Paul's point in the text that we just read. Don't allow sin to control you. Don't give yourself to it in your lust, but rather present yourselves to God and present your members as instruments of righteousness to God. In other words, use yourself, use your body, use your time and resources to serve Him. And the reason for that, Paul says in verse 14, is that because you're not under law, but you're under grace. And thus grace demands this kind of behavior. And that is why by grace we are saved through faith, Ephesians 2.8. It is only through our submission to God and our continued obedience to Him, that we can maintain a relationship with Him, that we can be brought into fellowship and stay in fellowship, reconciled to God. And sadly, there are many cases in the New Testament and really throughout Scripture, I guess we could say, of those who fall short of the grace of God. And so I ask you, if it weren't possible to receive the grace of God in vain, then why would Paul say that it is? In places like 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1, he says, Working together with him, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, At the acceptable time I listened to you, and on the day of salvation I helped you. But now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance afflictions and hardships and distresses and beatings, imprisonments and tumults. And he goes on from there. So it is possible. And notice again the connection that Paul is making for those brethren there in Corinth. He says, continue to suffer, just as we are as apostles, speaking from Paul's perspective. And he says, today is the acceptable time. There's a sense of urgency about this. Today is the day of salvation, he says. Don't give cause for offense in anything, but rather submit yourself again as a servant of God. Or as we just read in Romans, present your members to God 
as instruments of righteousness. Elsewhere, the Holy Spirit will warn that and use the words that one can fall short of the grace of God. And he says in Hebrews 12 and verse 15, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, and that there not be any evil and unbelieving heart in any one of you, brethren, in chapter 3 and verse 12. And so we see that grace is unlimited and grace is powerful. And we've discussed that in recent weeks, just how just how amazing and, and marvelous God's grace is and, and how much sin it can cover and how he has gone absolutely out of his way, which is an understatement, to reconcile humanity back to himself. Though we were enemies, though we were hostile in mind, though we don't deserve salvation, he was willing to die so that we could so that we could have it that we could be not only saved from our sins and, and removed from his wrath but but elevated to this new glorious position to be brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ to be co-heirs with him have the hope of heaven eternal life so to deny this fundamental teaching that grace demands obedience. It's not a new heresy. Most people try to conceive of a Christianity without Christ and the conditions and the doctrines and teachings that he placed upon us in order to stand in his grace. But there is no such thing as genuine Christianity apart from Christ and resting and twisting his teachings to suit our own conceptions. And Paul encountered this as well when he preached the gospel. Many deliberately tried to construe his message as condoning sin. As we learned earlier in Romans chapter 3, he says, Why not say, as we are so slanderous reported among some who claim that we say, let us do evil that, that good may come. And he says their condemnation is just. And here in Romans chapter 6, he's taking up that objection. He's taking up this false charge in the context. And he is moving to quash any misconception that grace, that God's grace permits in any way, shape, or form the believer to continue in sin. He begins by asking the question in verse 1 of chapter 6, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? You just think about that question. Should we continue in sin so that grace may increase. To listen to many in the religious world today, they would answer that question, yes. And they conceive of God as some sort of cosmic vending machine where you put in a quarter and grace is dispensed to cover whatever it is you want to do. And that's just not how it works. He says, may it never be. How shall we who die to sin still live in it? And so any notion that salvation and receiving the grace of God and forgiveness in Christ, any notion that that allows Christians to sin at will, expecting grace to cover them is simply wrong. Sin still carries the penalty of death, which is Paul's final point in Romans uh, chapter 6 and verse 23 at the end of this, this context. The wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So how tragic it is that so many have come to a different conclusion than, than Paul in Romans chapter 6 and have deceived others even into believing 
a soul-damning lie. And so Paul goes on to answer this initial question, shall we continue in sin so that grace may increase, a few different ways. And the first approach that he takes is, as we read in verse 2, that Christians have died to sin. Those who have come to Christ in obedience and been baptized into his name have died to sin. And so that's that's the point that he's going to make here with regard to baptism. And he's calling us to recognize that in obeying the gospel, we undergo a certain kind of death. So what does that mean? In verse 3, Paul goes on to explain, says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? And we can look in other scriptures and we can see, for example, in Acts 2.38, that when somebody who believes is penitent, as many of those people, thousands of those people were on the day of Pentecost, when they heard Peter preaching about Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that's offered through him, when people like that believe the message and they want to repent and they submit to the message and are baptized for the forgiveness of sins, Paul reveals that in that baptism, it's not only a picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, but there is an actual death of a, of a person, a, a body of sin, as Paul describes it, that is being removed, not by people and not by the water. There's nothing magical or mystical going on here. It's just simple obedience to the word. And so Peter says, in response to their question in Acts chapter 2, those thousands of people who believed that they needed to repent and that Jesus is the Christ and they could only find forgiveness in him. When they said, what shall we do? Peter said, repent in verse 38. Repent and be baptized every single one of you for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That is to say, you will receive salvation and the sanctification which the Holy Spirit provides. Paul says in verse 4 that we have been buried with Jesus Christ through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Now remember the question that he's answering here. Shall we continue in sin that grace may increase? And so what he's saying is we have this new existence. We were raised out of this baptism to walk in newness of life. And so he is saying in very truth, it is it is our own death, it is our old self that is being crucified, as he goes on to say in verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, in order that our new body, in order, excuse me, that our body of sin might be done away with. There in the first part of verse 6. And so in baptism, we, we share in the death of Christ. We are baptized into his death, as Paul says. We are buried with him spiritually. Our old self is crucified with him, verse 6, that we may come out of baptism or raised, as Paul says, in Christ as a new creation with new, new life to walk in newness of life. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, essentially the same thing to the brethren there. If any man be in Christ, he is a, a new creature. Behold, old things have have gone away. And that means all the sin, all the past sin that bogs us down, that brings condemnation before God, brings guilt and and punishment. Paul says all of that's gone. It's removed and we can be blameless before Jesus Christ. New things have come, a new identity, new spiritual blessings, a new hope. 
a new way of life. It is God who works in baptism, not man. All man is doing in baptism is simply submitting and throwing himself at the feet of God. But what is taking place in baptism spiritually is God's work. As Paul says in Colossians 2.12, Having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God. It was God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and it is God who raises us from spiritual death to walk in newness of life. And so to ask, is it necessary to be baptized to have salvation? That's the same as asking, well, does my body of sin need to be removed so that I can have salvation? Who could deny the necessity of baptism based on this text in Romans chapter 6? When Paul says only those who have died with Christ in baptism can be free from sin in verse 7. And only those who have died to sin can be Christians. And that's the point he's making. You began this new way of life to be free from sin and to walk differently. So why would you continue in it is the question, right? Grace is, doesn't come that way, and that's not an appropriate response to grace, even really to ask the question. The one who has died that is in baptism, verse 7, is freed, is freed from sin. Because you want to be free from sin, and I want to be free from sin. I want nothing more to do with it. It is destructive and it condemns me. And all social and political and moral ills are as are the result of sin in the world. And so Christians' new lives should reflect Jesus' life. That's Paul's next point, that Christ died and rose from the dead, never to die again, and the sacrifice that he made to cleanse us of our sin was once and for all time. And even the life that he now lives as a high priest, he lives to intercede for his people who still will stumble into sin, not willfully and deliberately and continually, but because we are imperfect and because we continue to need grace, we are also saved by his life. That is, his life he lives after his resurrection, ascended at the right hand of God. So he he arose, that is, Jesus arose, and his new life would be spent and is spent in serving his father as king and high priest. So we see in verse 10. And so Paul's point is that, is that we should consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ, and we should no longer allow sin to be our master. Verse 11, that's the application. Even so, he says, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ, who himself arose from the dead, to serve in this new position, to serve his father in this new exalted position as king and priest. Therefore, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you for you are not under law, but under grace. Again, we have all this application. Where Paul says, refuse, refuse to obey the lust of sin. Refuse to, refuse to present any part of your body as an instrument of unrighteousness in thought or word or deed. Rather, we should present ourselves as those with new life and new identity. 
no longer spiritually dead, but those who live for Christ, thinking and speaking and doing acts of righteousness. As he says in verse 13, so the Christian's life should reflect the holiness of Jesus' life. And if it does not, then that's a red flag. The, the clear implication is that they are allowing, and I am allowing sin to reign in my body if I do not imitate the holiness of Christ's life, Christ's life and His service to His Father, to the Heavenly Father. And Paul's point is here is that sin still brings forth death. Right? He's talking to Christians. He is speaking to a church. But grace always brings pardon, and law brings condemnation. But the grace of God, properly understood and appreciated, will motivate one to obedience. But it does not mean, and it has never meant, that God's expectations of holiness are now void. That there is no longer a standard of conduct that God has placed before us. That can't be true, and if it, if it were, well then Paul wouldn't have any reason to give the admonition that he is here. To avoid sin. To refrain from sin. To submit to God. The Hebrew writer says in Hebrews 13 verse 8 that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he has called his people to conduct themselves according to his holy word and gratitude for his abundant grace. And if we refuse to do that, then we forfeit. We forfeit the grace that he has extended to us. That is equivalent to what we read earlier in 2 Corinthians 6 of receiving the grace of God in vain. Or falling short of the grace of God. To fall short doesn't mean that you never stumble. And when the scripture says that we fall short and that all fall short of the glory of God, it means that nobody is perfect or can earn their salvation. And that's not what I'm teaching this morning. And I don't believe the Bible teaches that. But the only hope that we have to be, to remain, justified to remain blameless is to remain in christ and according to christ the way that one does that remains in fellowship with him is through obedience to his commands if any man loves me john fourteen twenty three, he will keep my commandments and i will love him and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him jesus is speaking of fellowship just as paul is here, the demands of being in fellowship with God, receiving His grace, standing in His grace, it's contingent and it has always been contingent upon faithful obedience. Not just believing in God, but believing what He says. Not trying to separate the two. And imagine that there is a God who's like a senile benevolence who just wants everyone to say at the end of the day that they had a good time. That's not who God is. No, he, he has a higher calling for us than that. That is holiness and purity to be sanctified, separate from the world. And his primary concern is not that we have a good time, but that we submit to him and that we find hope and that we find peace and that we find reconciliation to him. So grace does not free anyone from accountability. Paul puts his Thesis in a different way here in verse 15. He says, 
In Romans 6 and verse 15, it says, Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. So here we have the second question in the context, but it's very similar to the first, right? He's just asking a different way. So shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? And again, the answer is no. He says, may it never be. In other words, he's saying, again, don't come to the conclusion that because you are under grace now and you have received the grace of God as a Christian and your obedience to the gospel and being baptized in Jesus Christ and your old man has been cut away and killed and you are this new creation, don't make the mistake of thinking that you are now free from accountability. He says it's quite the opposite in verse 16. He says, do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? So grace still demands obedience. We get the same answer to this question as we did the first. And Paul says, to him ever we present ourselves as slaves. We are most assuredly theirs. We belong to him. Paul will tell the church in Corinth that you are not your own, but rather you were bought with a price, and so you should glorify God in your body. And that's the same thing he's saying here. Maybe in a little bit word of your way, but he is saying it. When he says, present your members as instruments of righteousness, that's what he's saying. Glorify God in your body. You, you were bought for a price. And he says, there's one of two alternatives. Either you are a slave and I'm a slave of sin, which leads to death, or... I will be a slave to obedience resulting in righteousness or justification in verse 16. And so like all men, Christians were once slaves of sin and doomed to eternal death. But once they obeyed from the heart, the gospel preached to them, they were set free from sin and became slaves of righteousness. That's what Paul wants us to understand here in verse 17. Thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching, your Bible might say the pattern of teaching, to which you were committed. And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. And so the form of teaching, if we're following Paul's thought all the way from chapter 1, the form of teaching that he's talking about, which people obey to be freed from sin, is the gospel, is the doctrine of Christ. And because in chapter 1 and verse 16, he says the gospel is the power of God to bring salvation to those who believe. And that's his subject matter here. To be freed from sin is to be saved. And Paul says that happened when you obeyed the gospel, the, the form of teaching to which you were committed. That When the gospel was delivered to you, you submitted to it. You did what it said, just like those people in Acts chapter 2, and you, you became a new creature. You were set free from sin. It no longer had power over you. It no longer condemned you. And you were given this new life. And so to go back to that old life, to live in sin, is to bring condemnation once again. So again, the point is, is that a Christian, a Christian is no more at liberty to continue to serve sin than a slave is at liberty to serve a former master when he's been given to another. If you look over in Colossians chapter 1 for just a moment, you see the same idea come up again in Colossians chapter 1. It should come as a surprise because Paul also wrote Colossians. But he says in verse 13 that God rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so here he's talking about this transference of kingdoms or this transference of power. And again, he's speaking to Christians in Colossae, and he's saying that you were moved from one kingdom, you were moved from one master, from one domain that is of darkness, in sin, under bondage, and condemned, and you were transferred to a new master, to a new power, a new kingdom, a new domain in Christ. And don't forget verse 14, in that new kingdom, under that new rule, you have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And what so many folks seem to miss within these contexts is that in order to continue receiving forgiveness of sins, we have to stay under that rule. We have to continue submitting to the rule of Christ just as we did in the beginning. And that's what Paul will say in verse 21. If you drop down to Colossians 1.21, he says, Although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds, again, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present to you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And then look at verse 23 carefully. If, if indeed you continue in the faith, firmly established, steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the, of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, of which I, Paul, was made a minister. It's a call to continue in faith. It's a call to continue in obedience to the gospel, to not compromise those principles, to be steadfast. Paul says that's the condition that we must be in in order to obtain blamelessness and justification. That's the promise. And that does not come within a hundred miles of saying someone earns their salvation. The slave of sin, Paul says, is free of righteousness. Meaning, one who is a slave is free in a sense, but he's free from being blameless. He's free from all the spiritual blessings found in Christ, and he receives nothing of any lasting good. As he winds down his thought here in Romans chapter 6, that's exactly what he's saying. He asks the question, what benefit were you receiving from the things which you are now ashamed, he's talking about their former life. When you were slaves of sin, he says you were free in regard to righteousness in verse 20. In other words, being transferred into this, this new master, you have all these spiritual blessings. You have forgiveness of sins. As we saw in Colossians 1, 13 and 14, we have redemption through his blood. And thus we are set apart for him. We are sanctified to that master, to the, the master of Jesus Christ, but only insofar as we obey his word. And Paul says, going back to that old life is to return to, to shame because living such a life of sin only brings shame. To remain there is a fatal choice. It's not worth it, in other words. And Jesus said the same thing in Matthew 16, 26. He says, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? One could be the greatest in his field, 
One can be a loving father. One can be reputable in his community. One can be moral and be an upstanding citizen, an honest employee or employer. Yet if he does not have Christ, he is nothing. And his life has been wasted. Because as long as his sin remains, his destiny is eternal death. Paul says the outcome, verse 21, the outcome of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. You see, without Jesus Christ, this life is meaningless and there is no hope for the life to come. So why not be freed from such a hopeless state? And if you have been freed, why would you return to it, is the question Paul wants to know. Freed from sin, you gain everything in Christ, sanctification and ultimately eternal life. The old hymn asks the question, Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? And that's the question that I would like to end with this morning. Have you been freed from sin? Have you been buried with Christ in baptism so that your old man may be crucified, the old person that you were, the old life you had may be put to death and you be raised to walk in newness of life by the working of God as a new creature in Christ, forgiven, redeemed, and hopeful of eternity. Perhaps there's something I could do or we could do at Leon Valley to assist you in your obedience, or if you'd like to study further, please contact us. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.